has made, and we are glad to rejoice in it as part of God's family and to join with your family, Kendall family, Gable's family, the church family at your house today. If you're joining us, church online right there in your living room or in your kitchen, wherever you're joining us, but we invite God's blessing upon you as family. And um, maybe you've heard this, life is easy. All you got to do is put up with the intolerable, overcome the insurmountable, and achieve the impossible. Anybody relate to that? I think we all can at some point. What do these all have in common? Well, by definition, they are logical contradictions. They can't happen, you know, not the way they're stated. And yet, sometimes, such is life. It feels like we're living in a contradiction. <laughs> How are we doing this? I don't know. It's not supposed to be able to be done like we've been doing this past year in COVID. It's like we've been living in this contradiction. We're living in between. We're here, but we're not fully here. We're there, but we're not really there. We're here and there at the same time, but not really. You know, we're kind of living in this contradiction, this in-between place. And what I'm thinking is that every life, every person, at every stage of life has opportunity to know what I'm talking about. What am I talking about? Well, what came to me on one of those mugs at a cafe some years ago, I took a picture of it. I thought, I got to get this. Life, it's nothing like the brochure. <laughs> so whatever it is that you're expecting from life, don't be surprised when Something shows up you perhaps weren't expecting, and now you're supposed to drink it in. Anybody relate? And perhaps the toughest, uh, the toughest contradiction, the toughest place we experience contradiction is also the most tender place for many of us. It is when it comes to our families. When the contradiction comes to our marriages or to our children or to our children's children, when, uh, when it happens at home with the people that we live with, the people that we love, when it happens at home with the people that we don't live with and the people that we don't really love right now, you know, whether it happens with the in-laws and the outlaws, that's what we're talking about. When the tough and tender come together at home, some of life's greatest joys happen in the context of family, you know? whether it's a wedding with the fresh birth of marital love or the birth of a child, which we've celebrated with parents just this week and our children, uh, and birthdays and graduations. By the way, yay, seniors, way to go. Happy graduation. <laughs> or whether there's an announcement of scholarships or you got the job or you got the promotion or whatever. There's the list of celebrations at family in family life. The list of joys can be long at the same time. Some of the greatest heartaches and hurts that we experience in life happen at home. And you don't always see them coming, but they do come, and they come to us all. And sometimes it makes you wonder, which is why we're entitling this series, Does My Family Have a Future? I was invited to speak at a men's group that's been using my book, Upside Down Kingdom, as their study basis for a while, and that on how to invite the blessing of God into your personal life, into your business life, in today's world. And, um, 
the leader texted me ahead of the session that I was supposed to speak at in advance because his group was having trouble with one particular part of the book. And by definition, he says, my group is full of, quote, what he called type A, ultra-successful men. Now, here's one of the beautiful and amazing things of our church is that we come from so many different backgrounds, so many different nations, so many different languages. We come from every economic background as well and different social group and different races as well. This group in particular meets at a high-end address. And the leader said that in reading my book, they were having trouble wrapping their heads around the kingdom of heaven being for the poor, being for those that were spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit. It's the part where I admit my need. And then part of my answer that I spoke to the group about was, you know, Jesus just said it flat out. It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 19, 23. And uh, part of that is because material success can serve as a camouflage to what's going on in the spirit, but also as blinders to, to filter us from seeing our own needs. And uh, awareness of personal need, Jesus taught, is the doorway into God's kingdom blessing. So then, you know, because that's what I was trying to help, the group was trying to figure out, how do we get in on God's blessing? And the first step is be aware of your own need. And so I started thinking, and I would tell you this the same thing. If you find yourself in a place where whatever's going on in your life leaves you feeling like, hey, I got it together, I really don't need anything, then what I said to this group, and I would say it to you as well, is that maybe um, it's true that we've all suffered in some way in different points of our lives where we were very aware of our needs. And so maybe if you'd like to rediscover the feeling of need, it would be good for you to get in private somewhere and make a suffering list from your own life what are you talking about I mean places in your life that you'd like to forget that you want to avoid in fact you do avoid them when you're talking you hope they never come up in conversation <laughs> right because this is something you really don't want to deal with and you don't want anybody else to know about it's a place of need in your life and what I'm saying and I said it to that group and I'm saying it to you today that compost pile is like fertile ground for humility to become real, for feeling need. And then, of course, you know where I went next. For many of us, for most of us, if not all of us, the place where that need is and the hurt goes deep is when it comes home, when it's family life. And affluence can buy calluses and blinders and camouflage, but it can't buy God's blessing into your marriage, into your family, into your heart. Awareness of need is part of that, especially when family life gets, quote, what we call complicated. You ever said that? You ever had occasion just to say, oh, well, you know, it's complicated. Well, the story that I didn't, by the way, I didn't ask the men to share those lists with anybody. I just said, Draw it up for yourself, and then in private, ask God to meet you in that list, because it was about how do I become spiritually open? What does spiritual need feel like? 
Well, today we begin a series with the story of a man whose family life got complicated. And um, <laughs> would you agree with this statement? Having a long-term love relationship with a human being, any human being, is a complicated thing. You agree with that? Say amen then. I'm seeing heads do this all over, you know. I'm saying, no, this is for real. <laughs> you want to have a long-term relationship with a human being, it's going to get complicated. Well, the story, the tough and tender story that we're going to enter today is a story, a personal story about a prophet named Hosea that's told in the Old Testament book that bears his name. And it's a true love story, but it's also a tragic story. It's a, a story that has a huge disappointment built right into the heart of it. But it also has a hope that just won't die and a love that won't let go. It's a very human story, but it also is God's story. So if you ever think of God as distant or aloof or out of touch or not able to feel then Hosea's story is a real eye-opener, and I hope you'll check it out. I don't know if there's another book in the entire Bible that um, lets us in on such raw pain, the pain of being cheated on, the pain of being mistreated, with reason to feel broken and defeated. This prophet Hosea, his marriage and his family are just taking body slam hits. Painful disappointment. And his ministry is public. Which means that since he lives in a fishbowl, that his shame would also be public. Which means that people are probably talking about him, that he is the subject of rumors and gossip all over the place. And the big surprise of the entire story is that it is a mirror. It is mirroring what God is going through with his bride Israel at the time. Hosea's ministry started about 750 years before Christ. It lasts about 28 years. And during that time period, Israel, all of Israel's external enemies have been at bay. And so they've not been active against them, which means that they have had a chance during that time to become more secure politically and economically than perhaps they'd ever been. Actually, it was one of the most prosperous times economically in the entire history of Israel, second only to the time of King David himself. And um, at the time, though, prosperity, as prosperity increased, so also did injustice. So the rich got richer and stronger, and the poor got poorer and more abused and oppressed, and the middle class basically evaporated. It went away. At the same time that that was happening, there was also a resurgence of religious activity. People are going to temple, and they're bringing sacrifices to the temple. You know, that's what they do. They bring their animals and make sacrifices to God, and uh, lots of sacrifices. But though their possessions were seen at the, at the temple, their hearts were not there. Their worship was superficial. It was uh, external. It was pretense. And then there was also great moral decay in their nation at that time. 
Idolatry was rampant. Immorality was everywhere. There was adultery in the land. It was a pornographic time. And, uh, and the spirits of fornication and prostitution and sexual immorality were like termites that were just eating at the fiber of the culture. And it was breaking God's heart for his people, but it was also igniting his rage. And somewhere, somehow, we're not told in the story, but God decided that he would try to get his people's attention through his prophet Hosea. How would he do it? Well, he would let Hosea's family life mirror the pain and heartache that God is feeling. And then the people would see it. It would show them what God is going through. That as God and his prophet were living this together, others would have to pay attention. So what's the storyline? God would have Hosea marry a woman who will not be faithful to him. I know, you heard me right. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, barely open the story. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Of course he wanted. Why? 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 Because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Now, does that feel like ice water in your face? So what does he do? Well, listen to the next verse, verses 2 through 8, as we now enter the story. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of, uh, of Ahab's family. The massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now, I started to mention some of the backstory here. Um, Elijah the prophet had predicted that King Ahab, his family, would experience God's justice for the wickedness that they unleashed on the land of God's people. And Jehu was to execute that justice, but he went too far. And actually, he carried out God's command, but he overcarried it. He exterminated them. And so now, Hosea says, Jehu is going to be held to account. Where? The same place where he massacred Ahab's family, Jezreel Valley. So Hosea's son, his firstborn, is going to be named Jezreel, which means God scatters. In anticipation of the coming day of accountability before God, Hosea, name your firstborn Jezreel. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again. She gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Loruhamah. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should forgive them. What? Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them. Now Judah is the southern kingdom, the southern part of the kingdom, and Israel, the northern part of that kingdom. Then a family that's experiencing a kind of split. Not by bow or sword or battle or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. And... Um, 
Verse 8, after she weaned Lo-Rahama, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So what's going on? I mean, what is this? Well, in verse 3, we're told that the first son was Hosea's. Clearly, specifically, Hosea's. And then we're told that Gomer, his wife, has two more children, but there's no indication in the story that Hosea was the biological father. Actually, the name Loruhama means not loved, and Loami means not mine. Okay, so what's going on here, right? Back to verse 3, very beginning. The Hebrew word used there that's translated adulterous or unfaithful is now being seen in Hosea's family. The mirror, remember? And the same word is being translated in other places and other versions of the Bible, maybe the one that you read. It's been translated fornication, harlotry, and prostitute. So here's what I want you to see. Straight up, the beginning of this man's story, his marriage and family life is suddenly, quote, complicated. Close quote. He has a wife that's not faithful, and now he has three kids, but only one of them could pass the Hosea paternity test. Now, if you snag on that, <laughs> I think we're supposed to. And we're going to come back to this next week and in some of the forward weeks to unpack that marriage situation some more, next week in particular. But for now, I want you to know that in this series, we're going to be learning from Hosea's journey in three ways. The top way, the top layer way, is God's relationship with his people Israel while he's trying to bring salvation into the world. And we're going to see how God is at work to bring the hope of salvation into the hurt of our world and into the herp of our homes. Number two, we're going to take that middle layer and we're going to see how God's truth can bring healing and help to us in the middle of our hurts for our families and for our marriages and for our raising of our children. The tragedy, when tragedy comes home, what do you do? So we're going to be looking at that. What does God say for us in that? And third, we're going to look at how we help each other in our church as people of faith when marriage and family life get complicated, what hope and help can we offer to one another in our ministries? So, since I said that's what we're going to be taking with us, let me do that real quickly right now. First, in the story of salvation, what we learn from this story is that God is a God of justice and mercy with his people, mercy with Israel. They are accountable before God for how they treat one another and how they treat people. And so are we. As Christ followers, as image bearers of God, we are accountable to God for how we treat one another. Justice matters. And how many times do we hear justice cried for in our culture? And yet what Hosea's book says and what God says is justice is not to be over-delivered and it's not to be under-delivered, but it is to be fairly delivered and done with equity. It's to be done with consistency. And this lesson still matters today, doesn't it? But there's the first lesson. And by the way, we will see at the close of the chapter that God extends mercy and has a word of hope for Israel in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. 
You're not mine, but now look what God is going to do. You are my sons of the living God. So the family was splitting, but now it's coming back together. We'll see that in a moment. Although Israel was unfaithful to God, God was going to keep his covenant with them. Uh, Second category, what do we learn for our families today? Well, how about this? God is not absent when hurt and heartache come. He knows what's going on in the human family. He knows, he even enters the pain of our story. He's not aloof. Man, he's writing himself right into it. He's present. He's feeling it with those who listen and those who are wanting what's right and wanting to pursue justice in the middle of things gone wrong. So maybe that's a surprise to some of us that God is not absent from the messes we make. He's not watching from a distance. He's very present. He's there for Hosea, who is getting closer and closer to God in the entire experience of how painful it was, and he's getting closer to God's pain in the midst of it. And then as doing that, he hears God's promise for Judah. Verse 7, I will show love to the house of Judah. I will save them. God is present, and he's ready to show love and save. And I'm thinking, whatever your situation, there's a truth that we can hold on to right now. Whatever you're going through today, listen, God is not absent. God is present and ready to save. Family life can get so complicated, especially in our culture. And you don't always see it coming, but it does come. And Hosea was experiencing heartbreak firsthand in his home life, just like we do. And learning, just like we said earlier, you know what? Having a long-term love relationship with a human being is a complicated thing. And so wherever you find yourself in your relational journey, it's going to get complicated. And one of the ways that God shows himself not absent in the middle of our pain as we process it is through his people. There's the third category. Just as Hosea was there to bring God's truth and to bring God's hope, In that time, the church is here in our time so that we can help one another. As we face the hard times together, we share the truth that sets us free. And when life gets complicated, we're able to put resources and tools into one another's hand. The church offers help during those hard times. And when we face the issues that our culture thrusts upon us like shame and guilt and fear and abuse and bitterness and promiscuity. You know, how can the church help in all of my relational life? This is a good question to ask. And then we should be trusted to answer it when it's between husbands and wives, when it's between parents and kids, when it's between friends and neighbors And we're going to be talking about that later on in the series. But bringing up kids, it's like, you know, this struck me as I was reading this. Okay, what about those kids? Chapter 1 says there was Jezreel. His name means scattered. And then there was a girl and another son whose names were unloved and unwanted. Wait a minute. That sometimes family feels like that, doesn't it? That's the kind of stuff that you don't say out loud anywhere else, but I'm telling you, sometimes family life feels scattered. You wonder if you're really wanted. You wonder if you're really known, if you're really loved. And that's what's happening here. I'm thinking Hosea was in the middle of this. He's living it as a mirror of what God is going through, but I'm just wondering if Hosea didn't say, you know, Lord, this isn't what I imagined family life would be like. This isn't what I had expected my marriage to be. 
What do you do when you find yourself in a place where it's not happening according to your plan? I'm telling you, if, if Hosea were to come here and ask those questions, I would tell you, this is why Christ's journey is here. Because we're here to offer hope and help. That's why our ministries offer workshops and retreats and conferences and resources and tools to help people when we find ourselves in troubled space like that. But rather than today become a commercial for me to talk about that, you know what I thought might be better? Is if I could introduce you to somebody who's joining our team to be a part of that solution. And today, our special guest, this is actually her very first Sunday with us as the student pastor of Christ Journey Church. May I introduce to you Brooke Perry? Would you help her feel welcome? Let's give up some loud and rowdy welcome. Thank you. To Brooke Perry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Very first Sunday with us. Very first one, yes. Well, I know that a lot of our parents and young people have already had opportunity over several months during this process unfolding yes. to get to know you a little bit, hear your story. But there's a lot of us who haven't yet. Yeah. And so what I thought was, well, we're starting a new series on family, and you know, you're here to assist us in strengthening family ministry. Um, maybe I could just introduce you to everybody today. I'm happy to be here. And, <laughs> Thank uh, you. We're not going to get, we don't have time to go in depth, you know, to unpack stories. She's got stories to tell, let me tell you. But I would like for you to answer for us just three questions today that will give us a peek into your journey. Yeah. And I'm going to tell her what the questions are, like she doesn't already know. She knows. <laughs> um, I have no idea. And then we'll, we'll just bring them together as you tell us some of your spiritual journey Great. as well. Yeah. Um, the first one is about Jesus. When did you meet Jesus? When did he become real to you? You know, like when the word Jesus becomes more than a word, it's like, oh, I know him. So I want you to tell us a little bit about that because this is Christ's Journey Church. And uh, the second one is, you know, our church is a big advocate and believer in young people. And so uh, I understand you are too, that you love teenagers. Yes, I love them. And, uh, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about, well, how did you get called into ministry to be a pastor for students. Yeah. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that. And then, uh, since we're, we're so cool and wonderful <laughs> as Christ Journey family, we thought maybe you'd like to tell us what you're excited about <laughs> as you start this first year together with us. You yes. know, why do you like us? Yeah. What, what, what's good about us? So anyway, uh, why don't we just back up and you can yeah. start by telling us, when did Jesus become real to you? Yeah. Well, um, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. I, I was always a Christian. I don't remember exactly when I uh, accepted Jesus into my heart, but my parents planted a church before I was born um, up in Washington State, actually. And uh, so I just always remember being at church. I always remember knowing God and the presence of him. Um, but when, my, when I was eight years old, my dad passed away. So him and my mom had planted a church he passed away fairly suddenly. He got sick um, and was gone very soon. And that obviously, you know, rocked our family a little bit. And then for, it's a story I won't share this morning, but for numerous reasons, we actually ended up leaving the church that my mom and dad had planted just a few months after that. And so that was a really hard thing as a kid. I didn't fully understand it, but it really kind of shook my understanding of church. We didn't really go to church as a family again after that. Um, and God and all that kind of stuff, but I never, ever remember his presence not being known in my life. I just could always feel it, whether I wanted to or not. 
Um, but when I was 17, I went to a church camp uh, with my youth group. And it wasn't the first year I'd been, but I had gotten really good at just kind of going through the motions and, you know, not really letting anything ever go too deep. Um, but this year, I don't know why God decided it was time, but it was. And I remember the first night of worship at the camp, I just was brought to my knees by a vision, really, that God gave me. And he showed me all of the things I was struggling with, the hard relationships, that had really hard relationship with my stepdad, just depression, lots of things that I was struggling with in my life at that time. And I just remember him stepping in front of it, and it didn't go anywhere, right? But he just showed me, he said, you, are, you have two options moving forward into adulthood. I was heading into my senior year of high school. And he said, one of them um, is going to bring a lot of pain. One of them is going to bring a lot of freedom. But the thing that really opened my heart to him in a brand new way was I remember so clearly in my spirit that God said, either one you pick, I will not leave you. It wasn't this condemnation or this, you know, guilt trip or whatever that like pushed me into the freedom path. It was the fact that I felt like he wanted freedom for me. And so ever since then, I mean, that just that opened my heart in a brand new way. And, and he became incredibly real to me. Hmm. And then from there, oh, my goodness, to, yeah. to becoming a, a student pastor. <laughs> when did that happen? Yeah, so about a year after that, I graduated high school, and I moved down to Portland, Oregon, where my family had originally been from. I moved in with my old small group leader and her new husband, who were youth pastors down there. Um, and about four days after I moved, I was... I went to a camp with them. I didn't really understand what was going on, but apparently I was a leader there over uh, middle school girls who I ended up leading all the way through they, when they graduated high school. Um, and my love for students started there truly, like just being able to build those relationships. But also at the camp, uh, there was a speaker there, and the camp was one where there were a lot of different churches that came together. So there were hundreds of people there. I didn't know the speaker personally at all. He didn't know me. But he walked into our worship service one night, and he came up to the stage and said that when he walked in, the Lord had showed him four faces and four words for those faces. And um, the first three were students at the camp, and then the fourth one was mine. He was just, like, looking out at the crowd like this, and he was like, that's the face I saw. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I stood up, and he um, spoke a lot of words over me. I don't really remember exactly everything that he said, but what I do remember is I was about to go to school to be a teacher, and he said, uh, you're going to be a teacher, but not the kind that you think. And it was that same familiar voice that I had felt that kind of opened my heart up a year earlier at that camp, just that, that familiarity of the Holy Spirit and like, this is something I need to pay attention to. And so since then, it's, it's definitely not been a linear journey. I mean, there's been a lot of things, did a lot of school, did a lot of internships. Mm -hmm. um, but all along the journey, I've just stayed so passionate. I just believe in the next generation so much. And for me, my youth ministry, even when I was pretending and kind of faking it and resisting a bit, it was always that, like, beacon home for me. That I, it was telling me my identity. It was speaking truth into my life, even when I didn't want to hear it. And it's what kept me going. It's what kept me solid with Christ, even before I knew that's what was happening. So, yeah. And that's what I want to do. I just, everywhere I go, I want, in the last few years that God has allowed me to be in these positions, I just want to create a space where our teenagers can experience the love of God, the truth of God, the identity of him that he's placing over them, and just experience that together in a safe space to explore that together. Amen. 
Well, I know that, that that's more than words to you because you have followed that up with practice through the years. Yeah. Uh, your undergraduate degree, I heard you tell our young people on Wednesday that yeah. you uh, earned a Master of Divinity in a mm -hmm. seminary. And then you've served in like three other churches prior yeah. to coming here, yeah. uh, which now leads me to believe that we must be the coolest ones so far. <laughs> Obviously. So, <laughs> so as you look forward to this first year of ministry with us, what, what are you anticipating? Yeah. Well, I, I truly feel so honored. Like, I do not take it lightly that I'm being trusted by so many of you guys and your kids and, and our teens out here. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so excited to see what God is doing in this season, in this church with these students um, and being able to see a new move of the spirit in and through them. I mean, there's ancient truths that never change. Like you're speaking from the prophet Hosea, right? Like, but they, the expression is different based on the person. He's created all of us to be so unique. And so I'm truly just excited to see what is going on in this season through these specific teenagers in this year coming out of a very hard year yeah. um, and just getting to be a part of it. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that believes in young people so much. It's the only reason why I would have really trusted my own journey to come here, right? That knowing that I'm with a, a community, a family that really believes in the next generation. Well, so. I know you've also already met with some leaders and anticipating yes. calendar and scheduling stuff. Yes. Um, and something called summer days. Yeah, yeah, summer days happening this summer during days. <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome. We have a ton of fun events being planned uh, just to be able to reconnect and have fun together. And I would love selfishly for everyone to be a part of them so I can meet you and hang out with you guys if you're in middle school and high school or a leader. If you want to be a leader, you're not yet. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a really fun summer just getting reconnected with everyone. Well, we're very happy to welcome you. Thank and you. I want to say to our young people in the room and to you in front of them, I've already said this to you, but we don't believe that young people are the, are the leaders of tomorrow. We believe young people are the leaders of today. Amen. Yeah. You know, we, we entrust and empower and envision our teenagers leading the way. And in every one of our ministries, we have opportunities for young people to step up and lead if they will. And we don't try to force anybody into that, but you parents know this too. So young people, we believe in you. Uh, when I first came here, I asked my predecessor pastor what the core values of the church was without hesitation. The first he said was, and it came from a lay leader of the church, he said, do whatever it takes to reach the young people. And we still believe that, we still practice that. We wanna reach young people. Um, and that's how we touch the future today. And, um, and so, young people, I want you to know, when we give you that opportunity, please take it. Step up. And then, parents, let our church, let our family ministry partner with you. Don't do this thing alone. Let's, be, let's get in it together. And then let's watch what God can do. And watch him bring hope even out of some of the most complicated situations, which is where the chapter ends for us, verse 10, in the place where it was said, you are not my people, God says, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and Israel, it was like a house divided coming apart, and yet God says they're all going to appoint, they're going to come together and appoint one leader and come out of one great, up out of the land, and great will be the day of Jezreel. Now this is a prophecy. The word Jezreel is still there, but the scattering that God is doing now is a missional scattering of seed that will now raise up into a new harvest of hope. 
Scholars say this is a predictive word of the coming Messiah. And the name Jezreel, as God scatters his people from this healing, will bring a harvest of hope. And uh, that's a word that I'm ready for today because, you know, this last year we have felt scattered. I mean, who of us haven't felt scattered emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, culturally? We've seen this in our nation, upside down with disagreements, like wherever you turn, it's like we're in disagreement with somebody. So we know what it feels like to be scattered, and I am praying that God will use the season we're in as an opportunity for hope of gathering to come out of the scattering. God is going to do something new even in the season of Jezreel. What does that mean? It's a prophecy that sounds like a contradiction. It's a promise of hope that's coming out of a complicated day. Perhaps that's what God wants you to take away from here today, is a promise of, you believe, you feel like you're living right in the middle of a contradiction right now. And life got really complicated somehow this last year. And you're not out of the woods yet, are you? And God is saying, but I'm in the woods with you. (laughs) And though you feel scattered, I'm going to use that to raise up a new harvest of hope in your life. And so this is our prayer today, that what feels like a contradiction can actually become an opportunity of hope. And I'd like for us to speak together some words of hope, some clarity definitions that have come to me out of what our congregation believes when it comes to days of Jezreel. Would you read this with me first? We believe in God's hope for our homes. Let's say it out loud together. We believe in God's hope for our homes. So sometimes brokenness finds us. Broken hearts, broken promises, broken homes. But we believe in God's hope in the middle of that. Another one. Let's move to the next one. We believe brokenness doesn't get the final word. Could we say this together? At home too. Here we go. We believe brokenness doesn't get the final word. Hope does. Hold on to that. The gospel of hope spoken in Galatians 4, 5 says that we believe God redeems us in Christ to full adoption in God's family. He has not forsaken us. We have been saved to become God's sons and daughters together. And then the next one is we believe our church is part of God's hope. Would you read this with me? We believe our church is part of God's hope for the world. And we're here to help one another experience that hope even in the hurts of life. So I would love for you to know today that no matter how complicated your life feels or how scattered or unloved or unwanted you may find yourself feeling right now, you are a treasured child of God and you belong in God's family with us and we are here to watch God bring hope out of hurt. Which then brings me to the final conclusion here. We believe God is ready in Christ to show love and save. Could we say this one together? We believe God is ready in Christ to show love and save. Brooke, you said that earlier when God's Spirit spoke to you, He gave you a prayer. Do you remember that prayer? Yeah, I do. What was it? It's just been a very simple prayer ever since then uh, that I just started praying that my spirit would be synced up with his spirit and that I would be able to stay in step with him and honor 
the, the partnership that he'd invited me into. Amen. Brothers, sisters, is that a prayer that fits you today? Lord, I'm praying that my spirit might be in sync with your spirit, and then my life would be in step with your lead, with your spiritual leadership, and then the partnership. What was that part? I would honor the partnership that he invited me into. I would honor the partnership you've invited me into. Could we pray that together? Would you bow with me? And in your own words, in your own spirit right now, Lord, sync my spirit up with yours. Show me where you're leading so that I could follow, that I could step, be in step with your spirit. And Lord, I'm also praying that you would uh, help me honor the partnership that you have called me into in my marriage, if that fits, pray that. In my parenting, if that fits, pray that. In my family life, help me honor the partnership of staying in step with you and in sync with your spirit. And now, friends, we also know every time we gather that somebody is, is considering trusting Christ for the very first time. Maybe that's you today. And you could make that prayer by just saying, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit as I receive you and trust you by grace. Lead me now as I seek to follow you and make my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.